0: hello and welcome to starts and grafts a happy new year to everyone listening For those of you joining us for the first time, I'm Connor, and each week I'm joined on the podcast by emerging creative talent to discuss their journeys so far, how their work's been impacted by the pandemic, and what the future holds. This week's guest is an anti-disciplinary practitioner making work through direction and sound design. She's worked at some of the UK's leading venues, including the Young Vic, and has taken up creative residences overseas in places such as Italy, Serbia, and China. To top it all off, she is now sharing her knowledge and experience as an Associate Lecturer on the Performance Design and Practice course at the University of Arts London. Monotida Chinyango, welcome to Starts and Grafts.
1: Hello, hello. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. It's great to actually meet you. It's great to be meeting new people through the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm. I'm a bit tired, but also Christmas is coming, so I'm really excited because it's the only kind of not good thing this year, but like <laughs> it's something good to look towards. So yeah, I'm. I'm good. Just wrapped a few uh, projects, but yeah, I'm good. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm not bad. Are you.? So I'm recording from London. Are you recording from London as well?
1: I'm recording from East London near Walthamstow.
0: So, like you just said, whilst we've got Christmas to look forward to, there's all this talk of is London going to end up in tier three over the next few weeks? How are you feeling about that?
1: See, I feel like I'm like the worst person to ask these questions because I'm like super (laughs) antisocial, even with like family stuff I'm like okay great this means that we won't have those annoying uncles over this year yeah I mean I'm in the middle I I mean because also I've just been finished working at a few drama schools so it's actually meant that I've had to be working within the actual place um instead of working from home Sure. so it hasn't really changed that much for me okay and also I'm just getting really confused on what is the difference between the tiers where am I supposed to be where should I go but I'm just ready to stay in the house this Christmas. So Whatever tier it is, I'm here in the house.
0: (laughs) That's fair enough. I think I'm going to go back up north for Christmas. And I Mm -hmm. think there's talk of Manchester and the surrounding areas going to tier two. So I'm actually kind of Mm -hmm. jumping ship at the right time, I think, from London and going back to, fingers crossed, a better area. But I'm really looking forward to chatting to you because I had a look. And just from the introduction that I gave at the start, it's clear that there's going to be so much to talk about because the list of different things that you've achieved in such a short space is fascinating.
1: It's hard to define exactly it is what I do. I mean, I'm only kind of learning how to organise and structure it in my mind. So mm. yeah, it's gonna be kind of a mess and I may go on a tangent or I may end up somewhere else. But yeah, I'm a lot. I'm a lot of things <laughs> in my mind it's a lot of problems. I think
0: sometimes those tangents are the best places to go to, the unexpected ones. Um so I think a really good starting point, especially for me and for the listeners is to find out more about what you do and what is a anti-disciplinary
1: practitioner. Hmm. Questions? Do I even know these answers? <laughs> okay, so I think the cleanest and most focused way to say what I do is that I am a director and a sound designer. I think that's kind of the easiest things I give whenever someone asks what I do. Sure. I've actually had a problem in answering this question, so I had to sit down a long time ago and go, what exactly is this, and how do I answer this? And I um, ended up with these kind of three separate branches. I always forget the last branch, so hopefully when I get there, I remember it. <laughs> so the first branch is the sound-led, design-led work. I think when I graduated from my B.A., Um, I graduated from Middlesex University and they do this course on contemporary performance practice, which is like really collaborative. And then when I graduated, I realized that the work that's happening in commercial spaces and venues isn't what I imagined it would be and the structures on it. I imagined it would be you know there's a lot of hierarchy and a lot of this idea of I'm not against text I think you know for a long time I used to be like oh, I hate text, Does it apply text itself yeah there's, there was this idea of um serving the text and I was always that person that's like oh but why do we need to serve the text are we waiters can we not just work with the text to figure out something else but when I graduated there was this like sense of the text is up here and then we have the director's vision and then you have kind of the designer the set designer's costume as the kind of director's best friend and then under that is like the wrestler gang and I was like cool 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 what does this mean for me as a sound designer and then I realized that maybe I'm not a conventional sound designer even in my direction I really enjoy doing design-led work which basically means thinking of a design concept or a way in which I want information or a story or a narrative to be communicated and then finding the right text that fits that. So um, for sound design and sound work, I'm really, I'm not just interested. I mean, I love sound, you know, music, musicality. I listen to all types of music. I can talk about that forever. But I'm also interested in the way in which we receive information. Sure, I think. Okay. So whether that's through headsets or vibrations or just different sonic equipment and how that gets to us so I was you know became obsessed with silent disco headsets and this idea of having this individual experience but also communal it's like
0: a community of individuals isn't it
1: exactly exactly through sound and it's like oh my gosh wow well it was it was everything I really wanted to do and I was like okay so how can I make work using this equipment how do we bring theater into that so i think that's kind of the design led stuff so most of my work in design comes from concepts and equipments and technology that i want to play with and experiment uh and most of the time you know the stuff i do is quite international so looking at ways in which we can learn from one another across you know different borders looking at cross culture And what it means to not have English as the primary language and how, you know, theatre with no words and blah, blah, blah. So sound was really important in that sense. And I learned a lot from that. So that's like my first strand.
0: And at what stage did sound really start to interest you? Was that when you were studying? At what point did you think this is for me? This is my interest?
1: I didn't understand its power during my BA but then when I did my MA mm. and I started kind of reading the research papers and I read something about like earphone art and the way in which we receive sound I remember reading or oh, I think someone someone told me about like this book on the way in which interior design and how they look at sound design in restaurants and spaces and I was like oh my gosh this is way more than just listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers on a Sunday. So I was like, there's so much that we can do and so much different way to access stories through sound and a different experience. And that's when I was like, okay. So it was during my master, we kind of were allowed to pick different focuses and one of them were like sound. So that was like, boom. Mm. The second strand is international collaboration, which I've kind of spoke about already. So yeah, I set up this, not just me, myself and my frequent collaborator slash friend set up this collective called State of the Art. And we... I mean, someone was asking me again, what is State of the Art the other day? And I was like, it's not really a theatre company, but kind of collective of artists. And what we like to do as artistic directors is train emerging talent in understanding contemporary practices for example we run this thing at Middlesex University where a bunch of students prepare a short show and then they take it over to the National Theatre of Rome and learn what it means to kind of tour shows and also learn how to navigate that environment and then over there we it's not just a the show they're presenting they also sit within roundtable talks so kind of allowing them to see how kind of academic side fits in so it's not just you know because sometimes I guess at uni you're reading a lot of books. And, you know, you may not really understand why this is important, but then being able to put that into practice is really useful. And I think it was really useful. Um, it is useful for them. <laughs> you
0: know, that sounds like really important artist development. I think just the two things, yeah. the two strands that you've touched upon within your work are so fascinating because for me, I did an English and theatre degree. Mm. And elements of sound were only something that was kind of tapped into very briefly yeah everything was just touched upon and we never went into depth into the things that sat outside of the text which i think is why i'm so fascinated about having this chat
1: for me it was so hard to define my practice and who i was because it wasn't sitting within the conventions it wasn't something i was reading and so offering these opportunities and allowing students to figure out ways of talking about their practice and finding this language maybe this language doesn't exist within the UK but it exists in European venues and organizations so them to be able to see that and go oh okay that's something I like and something I can do and something I want to experiment and try so I think that awareness and giving them those opportunities is really important so that's why we kind of do that and that's the international collaboration side sure and then finally
0: I remembered. <laughs> you sound out of breath already <laughs>
1: Um, is the directing. so, And there's a lot of different things in directing, but I think I'm going to pick the most important one. And that is based off one of my favourite things, wrestling.
0: Are you a wrestling fan?
1: I mean, I haven't watched wrestling in a while, maybe because of work, but obsessed, obsessed. I know my wrestling.
0: Amazing. Are you kind of (laughs) WWF Attitude Era or kind of the family generation WWE?
1: I feel like Attitude Era had the best storylines, but also I feel like the innovation the development they're doing it's not as fast and it's not as good but it's still here which I think is really important and they're trying um in the PGA. Yeah. So for me wrestling you know from a very young age was very important to me and I think again because of the design element my practice as research dissertation piece was to prove that wrestling is you know as well in my opinion the highest form of theater. Yeah. So I did that and what I realized I mean cuz it's live. It's responsive. They really respect the audience and the audience know their power. And that's what I wanted to see in my audiences and my shows. Like, how do we do that? It's, it's the most
0: unconventional audience exactly, that you can find exactly. in what is essentially a theatrical space. I, yeah, I couldn't agree exactly.
1: more. And they're so responsive and they're with you and... Again, the whole live aspect, sometimes wrestlers go in the ring not knowing um, who's going to win the match. And it's all according to uh, whoever is chosen by the director at the back. And again, for me, that was like, oh my gosh, imagine directing a show with no ending, but you only figure out the ending when it's live. Like It's like an improvisational director, live directing. I'm always trying to figure out what the right word for it is. So that's what I'm really interested in. What is the role of the spectator? What is the role of the director? And not that I want to be a performer, but how do you make the director's role a bit more performative and a bit more than just the end of the rehearsal process?
0: Well, you just have to look at Vince McMahon, don't exactly. you? And he is the ultimate director performer. He exactly. is, you know, it's quite hard to understand, really, that he's this character that you see on screen, sometimes calling the shots on screen, but actually he is the man that is controlling the business, off the screen, behind the camera. Exactly. And it's this complete blur of... Yeah, it rolls, like you said, and I'm not going right. to go off too much on the tangent, it's but I, so I love crazy. this view that you've just brought to the podcast of this idea of wrestling being the ultimate form of theatre and yeah <laughs> incredible I and mean, I could talk for a long time about my favourite wrestlers and whatnot but let's talk um, some more about you as a director and what you've yeah. what you've been up to so in 2019 you were the assistant director on Idris Elba and Kwame Kwe Mars Tree mm. which was a co-production between the Young Vic and Manchester International Festival yeah what was that like as an experience some huge figures involved in that production.
1: Oh, it was massive. Also, this was my first large-scale production. Mm. And a lot went on, you know, from the actual show in itself to then the controversy with the whole writers and everything. So it was a big learning process and the amount of different producers um, and producing houses that were involved. And I think communication, I learned how to kind of stronger my communication skills. I also... Okay, so I feel like this was also not the perfect show for me because, you know, as I said, an issue with me is I'm not a fan of conventional theatre. So when it comes to assisting, I'm always looking for that other show the show that is not just on on stage in the space i'm looking for something immersive or something different something alternative and what this was for me was a kind of commercial packaging of my non-conventional erection
0: that's spot on yeah it's it's exactly what it was
1: it was not experimental but it was kind of different but packaged in the right kind of way for you know the politics of British theatre. So audiences can you know, buy tickets and come in. Whereas my shows are kind of like, uh, you know, I don't really care about some of these rules, so I'm not going to do it. And then there's that kind of problem of, well, then producers are not going to take on your show either because it's not what it should be in that sense.
0: Because there's still that aspect of theatre and especially you know commercial theatre that it needs to sell. But I was yeah. Yeah. I was working for the Manchester International Festival at the time. Um, I was working behind the scenes yeah. doing all the after parties that you may have come to um, on the square. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you came to any of those. So for example, like you said, Tree was a huge production. It was probably the biggest of the festival and the way that Mm. it was commercially packaged. And having names like Idris Elba and Kwame involved in it obviously helps sell a show. Yeah. It's that commercial aspect. Yeah. That was an opportunity to work within a big production and really find out what is going on within these spaces.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there was dance, there was the music aspect it was full it was full of different design aspects it was full in terms of structure organization it was full of different areas of learning like you know even in um that whole experience of being at myth and what it meant and who's who and what's what um that whole atmosphere and then you know coming back to young vic so mm. my learning of how to take a show that was massive and then bring it back down to the heart of what it needs to be and and also the rehearsal room you know having all this Let's say, you know, big names. It wasn't, you know, a kind of diva esque. It was just a rehearsal. Yeah. It was just people playing in a room, people speaking, talking, discussing, Mm. and the subject as well, you know, everything. It was just, it was just heavy on every level. So I think that was great for my development and understanding um, and also given the opportunity to just be a part and create as well. I remember this last scene on Tree because it was quite immersive as well. And I was, you know, I'm really into immersive and how audiences can interact and blah, blah, blah. So I had suggested, like, oh, what if the audiences kind of bring out their torchlights? Because, you know, at the venue we had in Manchester, it was massive, and I was like, this reminds me of a concert. It was like
0: an old Victorian marketplace, wasn't it? Right, Which yeah. was turned into this rave. It was insane.
1: Exactly. It was like a rave, and then the stage was like... I felt like I was at a big rock concert or something. And I said, this just reminds me of when audience bring out their flashlights. And we got to do something like that. We have to, um... I remember running up to the director, Kwame, and I was saying, and I just said, I have this idea. And then there was a lot of things happening, different things. And he was like, yeah, just run with it. So being able to, I guess, having that trust to have creative input on such a level, again, was empowering and also made me think, oh, cool, my voice kind of does better. Not that my voice didn't matter, but... Yeah, it was it was cool on every aspect.
0: <laughs> it must have been amazing. And how did that experience
1: come about? Um, so I'm on the directors network at the Young Vic. So I've been doing quite a few things with the Young Vic and the opportunity was just, because they're quite open with their opportunities and they posted that on their website. But yeah, I'd been doing different, small smaller projects at the Young Vic. So I think that's the short story. But yeah. So I played through that.
0: No, that's cool, because there are lots of director schemes, aren't there, and things like that at different Mm. venues. I'm always interested. Was that just something that you thought, I'm going to go for this because it's going to further my practice? Or, you know, what made you want to be a part of that?
1: The first thing I had to do after graduating was like find my home away from home because, you know, I spent a lot of time on my university and that theatre had everything, I guess, because it was kind of testing ground. So they had all the technology and equipment. and It was a good playground. But then after that, I needed to figure out like where I wanted to develop myself professionally. So what theatre spoke to me. And I guess the Young Vic was the one that did. And then, you know, they're incredible in terms of access. And just their workshops on the Directors Network, everything, everything's free, tickets free. I can't remember the last time I paid for a ticket to watch a show at the Young Vic, which again is incredible. And it means that you're able to see things and you're able to, either discussions after, there's mentorship schemes. So I really kind of grew with the Young Vic. And I appreciated the ideas and the stuff they were putting on. And I wanted to assist there. You know, this is where I want to learn from. And that's kind of how I got into there. But again, it's massively open. I think the thing that scared me after my BA was there were no jobs for directing, there was no like clear path on how to get in there. There was, like, if you look at places like, not that these places are bad or anything, but places like the Royal Court or the Donmar, which only has, like, you know, the assistant director schemes, where it's only, like, one person or two people per year, whereas the Young Vic was, again, open, incredible, constant, whatever you want to try, whoever you want to speak to, sue Emma's there, it's incredible. So I think it's just like they were where I thought I fit in. Because it's
0: daunting, isn't it? I think when you've spent so much time studying something and putting all Mm -hmm. your energy into it to then hope that it's going to be your craft moving (laughs) forward... And there's not always obvious doors in front of you, I yeah. think, for creatives, um, and especially in, in directing. I think it's very difficult to navigate and find the right path for you. And I'm guessing that's why you mm-hmm. are still juggling lots of different projects. Yeah, I can see Teter on Zoom right now and I can see all the different sticky notes in the background. <laughs> which, and there's a whiteboard, I think. And is that how you keep tabs yeah. of what's going on yeah, creatively? Because
1: I'm a mess. That's Yeah, that's the thing. I'm so glad you noticed that. People are like, oh my God, you've got so much things on. I'm just looking. Half of the stuff I don't even read. I think I just put it there. So it's like a physical reminder, but There's
0: nothing wrong with that. So we've just talked a little bit about some of the stuff that you did in 2019 with Tree and some of the stuff at the Young Vic. How has... 2020 played out for you what did you do back in the spring when we went into the first lockdown
1: the beginning of 2020 was going very well I feel like this is what everybody says it's almost as if everyone was succeeding um I started off at uh the Royal Exchange in Manchester so I was doing sound design there for Nikki Wilding who's directing Cutting It yeah and that was really cool and so I finished that and I remember this was actually 2nd of Jan I was there for tech so I was in Manchester for about two weeks, I think, and I came back here and then I was on to um, sound designing for Angie Langfield at Central, so the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, and that was after Mrs. Rochester, which was, you know, very kind of naturalistic, and I was like, ooh, at first I was like, hmm, this is not really your Tito production in terms of, like, the sound design, but then the kind of layers and different scenes and the challenges that came with it, I think were brilliant. So I was really, I really enjoyed that. And then I had, like, my own kind of things happening. So Gilgamesh, which was a show I did, like, in 2018, was set to make its return. I was really excited for this because it's one of them, you know, like, I don't do favorites, but this was, like, my kind of favorite child. And it was returning. It had been in hibernation for a while. And we booked a few venues. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, wow. It's coming back. It's going to be. Happening. Yeah. And it's, like, super, again, because my work is so unconventional, and nobody wants to book it. They're scared that we won't sell tickets and blah, 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 and audiences won't understand. So I'd found a few venues and and ADs who kind of trusted that this is cool, this will work, let's try it so that was exciting and then also yeah. like this is another issue with me I'm constantly doing like six projects at a time so just tell me when you're like okay this...
0: <laughs> for creators it's not always as simple as just being able to do one thing at once. Yeah. you've got to be juggling all those different plays
1: and I'm like a super workaholic as well so it doesn't help or not, not maybe not a workaholic but I'm in love with theatre so much that I'm only learning to say no now but I just can't say no and I'll do everything possible to work two texts at one If it's possible. So after that, so Gilgamesh, Antigone, which we're going to take to Sicily, and Pinocchio, which we're starting to go to Rome. Mm. So I had a few good projects, you know, ready to go.
0: You just talked about all these amazing things (laughs) that you had lined up, which have just been so exciting. Yeah. How did you feel then when you were told that this couldn't happen? Are you going to have to stay at
1: home? Again, I'm like. Very overambitious. And I'm, I think, the biggest optimist in the world. So it was a good, like, four weeks of me going, nah, we're going to be fine. Um, And also as a director as well, you've got to carry all this morale and other people kind of feeling bad. And, you know, I felt like it was up to me to kind of continue fighting and give that positive energy. So it was a lot of disbelief. And then... One day it sunk that I won't be going to Rome for the summer as I usually do, and I won't be going to Sicily for the second time either. So yeah, it was really sad. It was tragic, as everyone, you know, kind of experienced. But it it took some time before it actually hit and I was like, Okay, time to stay at home, time to close all these rehearsal readings or whatever we're doing or attempting to do, whatever I'm trying to save, it can't be saved.
0: (laughs) And how did you adapt then? Did you get to a point where you thought, I need to start making something?
1: At first, I was disappointed and really angry at, you know, the government's kind of response and also the theatre industry in general. I like, I remember they started like, oh, live streaming and the things that were live streaming, like, you know, there's several different politics in theatre. Yeah, I feel like I was angry. But what was I angry at? (laughs) It was something. Tr- I mean, I, it, I think it was just the industry. I was angry at the industry. And then I said, you know what? Maybe theatre is not for me. I'm going to stop here. Really? See you <laughs> yeah. And I just stopped. I just stopped everything. And also, I remember at the time there was a lot of um, ooh, Zoom meetings and let's sit and talk. And I was like, I feel like I was just being a bit savage. But I was like, none of this is really going to help me sitting and talking about my issues right now. If I can't solve it, I got to let it go. So I don't want to sit and like talk about how I can't get a job when I know that right now nobody can get a job, that we're all in this kind of situation where we can't change anything. And for me, talking wasn't going to help. So I kind of shut down theatre for a while, didn't want to see anything. I think I even like muted theatre tweets on my Twitter. I was like, no, shut down any kind of. Like, I had some workshops and stuff that I had to continue from the Young Vic, but I just couldn't find the strength or the motivation or inspiration, like, because we had to transfer it to Zoom. And I was like, I can't. There was no creativity. There was no, like, positive feelings towards it. And I said, if I force myself, then it's going to end up being something really bad. And I don't think it's not serving the purpose. So that's what I did to begin with. And then I started with my niece. And so we started um, having this kind of family sessions where for like two hours a day, we do like a Skillshare. (laughs) (laughs) And she studies um, UX UI. So coding and user experience and interface. And she had her lectures in the living room. I remember saying that I was like, okay, interesting. I'm kind of learning from the way in which they view audiences and how they cater to audiences and what that process means and that structure looks like and you know she would have her two hours of the day kind of teaching what she knows and coding and you know I built like a small like a prototype of an app and I was like okay this is cool I'm going to continue kind of working on my digital skills so I got back to Final Cut and I said I'm gonna polish let's see what else I can do let's see what else I can learn let's try text animation let's just try and see how films work how movies work live streams people, how are they engaging with us? How are YouTubers doing? What's Netflix doing? Because you know, Netflix made a lot of money this year. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) It's the one thing everyone's been talking about.
1: So what are these processes? How are they winning and how can I kind of I didn't do it because I was thinking, you know, for the kind of capitalistic gain. I did it because I just didn't want to do theatre anymore and I'm I was really excited about doing anything else that is kind of creative, I guess. So that was my initial response to that. And then jobs started kind of slowly coming in because also this is another thing I was saying that what saves me from having to do jobs like, you know, as an artist at the beginning, I was working in hospitality, but what allowed me to no longer do that is because I had these other skill sets being a sound designer means there's different jobs coming in and something you know sound is something I love to do designing sound is great so I was all of a sudden instead of like working in retail to help me sound was kind of funding my directing which meant I stayed in theatre
0: and obviously met new people on the way and made really important connections yeah
1: So that's the next thing that started happening, I guess, after things calmed down a bit and things started to open up. There was a lot of like sound commissions, and everyone was like so excited. Oh my gosh, time, we're going digital. How can we live stream theaters, Zoom theater? Oh, we're going to need sound designers. So I think there was a boom in work for any like technically skilled um, designers. And that's what I I kind of started doing, like small projects and film projects. And then I slowly started thinking, ah, okay, maybe theatre isn't that bad after all.
0: (laughs) Maybe there are things I can still get involved in.
1: COVID, I think, allowed for this space of reflection and freedom. You know, there's obviously financial restrictions and issues and that stress. But what it meant was there were no more deadlines. There were no more, like, working jobs that I wasn't super enthusiastic about or working with people who said there were one way and then I entered the rehearsal room and then another way. There was none of that energy anymore. So it kind of gave me this freedom to do whatever I wanted to try. I mean, again, I'm privileged and fortunate enough to have like the equipment in my room and things to play with. But I feel like that was the one of the most important things I learned. And it allowed me to stop and pause and realize that all this time, you know, working these kind of six jobs to survive what was also feeding into this idea of these jobs fed into the validation of who I was as an artist and that was getting very dangerous. You know, I was like, oh, if I work this, this, and this job, then I'm a good artist, which I don't think is right. And I don't think it's what artists are supposed to be. That there, there shouldn't really be a structure or a path in that way. So it kind of allowed me to step out and realize that I was almost kind of getting trapped in a sense. But at the same time it was hard to access any creativity because my inspirations come from the experiences it comes from public spaces i like to work with audiences i like to work physically i like you know encounters that i have around the world and the visuals like i'm constantly traveling you know lockdown also taught me about my bedroom never really been in here i was like wow great you know before that i would just like sleep six hours and i'm out and then i'm back again in the evening straight to bed sure so because I'm constantly traveling and I'm constantly seeing things and I'm collecting and consuming visuals and seeing the way things are translating. Advertisements are like, I really want to be um, like a Don Draper when I was younger, which, you know, not the negative side of yeah, it, yeah. but, you know, just be <laughs> advertising. So I think that also stopped me from accessing. It was hard to access my creativity. Not that I had gone, but it was just like, how do I get into that when there's no stimulus kind of helping me and feeding into that? That was the issues, but also the freedom to find it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of my guests have kind of said what you've said in the sense that there's not these deadlines to be so worried about and having to put work out by a certain mm-hmm. date and things like that. And exactly. what you just said about finding inspiration. I mean, you've just incredibly summed up how much of a difficult time it has been for people working in theatre and the arts. And that mm-hmm. leads us on to our piece of artist advice for mm-hmm. the episode, for the week, which comes from the incredible Cathy Burke. I'm still so like surprised that she shared this with us to share with our guests and our listeners. I don't really need to say too much about Kathy Burke, other than that she's an actor, a writer, director, national treasure, and that most of you will know who she is from me saying her name, but these are just some of the words that she gave us to share for the episode. She said, These are indeed precarious times, particularly for artists and creatives, and my heart goes out to those starting in the industry. My advice would be, join a union. It really pays dividends to be a member of equity or whichever union represents your field. Making sure you understand your rights on payment is more important now than ever. Professional work should be paid no matter how small the fee. Do favours when you've got food on your own table first. Look out for freebies. There's lots of stuff online now that you can access, whether it's from BFI, they've got great films, the National Theatre chucks out a free play every now and then, and most of the big art galleries have online viewings sign up for offers everywhere you can. And that was some Yeah, just a summary of what Kathy Burke said, which I think some of it was really fascinating, especially this idea of be a part of something which will help you understand your rights as a creative. Because there's this weird thing within, especially theatre, I think, in lots of ways, mm-hmm. the arts that you're expected as a young person, well, not even just a young person, but mm-hmm. as a creative, to go to drama school or university or music college and perfect your craft and then almost spend the years after that, giving it away for free? For free. Yeah. And are you concerned, Tida, that due to the financial impact that COVID's had upon the industry, that there'll be more expectations of people to work for free when things get back
1: up and running? Yeah, I feel like, again, it's really, like, it's a really hard time. And also, the annoying thing about the industry is that the only way, not the only way, but the biggest, you know, the most of my jobs come from the networks and connections I've made. I mean, I do like a load of applications a week. I have like deadlines in my calendar to like apply, apply, apply for things. But then I get a load of rejections. But most of the work is like, oh, I heard your name through this person and this person. And most of it happens that way. So when I go to work at um, universities and they're like, oh, how do you get jobs? It's like, because I was recommended. And then it's like, how do you be recommended? Because I used to work unfairly (laughs) and work for free. So it does exist, and it does exist in other, um, not just the theatre as well, which is annoying. But hundred percent, I think that's a big thing I learned during my reflection. Again, that you know I'm chasing something that is very dangerous, and I need to know my worth and how much you know my art is worth, and how much my practices and the processes and people don't understand the work you have to do. So what I tend to do nowadays is like write a list of. This is what I need to do. If this is the role that you want me to do, this is now step by step what the process looks like and. How much you know according to your fee? How much that is? I recently like I think last week there was like a really small fee for something, and I was like, oh my gosh! But this director is so cool, and I'm I really love this. But really and truly, if I take this job, I'm going to have to make sure I'm working another three jobs to survive, which makes no sense. Yeah. How is that possible? And then there was also like conversation of like maybe you don't have to be in you know every day. You can be in once a week, and then that covers your fee and whatnot. But what's the point? You know, again, this is me as an artist. How do you connect to a project? Maybe it's because I'm also a director, I'm not just a designer. How do you connect to a process if you're only in there once a week? I can't, I can't do it.
0: So for people that aren't necessarily working within theatre at the moment, am I right in thinking that lots of jobs are very much a one-off fee?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then
0: you're expected to kind of have an input throughout the period that the project's running?
1: Yeah, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's fair, sometimes people don't understand what exactly your role means and what what it takes to do the job so sometimes you know it's just like having to explain to them and sometimes I don't want to say they don't know because it's like how do you not know that this is like a bad fee. So, yeah, right now it's kind of like one off fees, and I think the trend I'm seeing is that they're reducing it to days now, okay. which I guess is fine, but also on the other side, it's theater and for me how how do I stay away from a rehearsal process or, or or the other thing is like you're paying me for one day's work to be in the rehearsal room. What about the making process that I have to do the other days so 100% knowing, you know, finding your unions and having these discussions and speaking freely about money, I think. Just talking with your peers and other people in the game and just saying, this is what I get paid. How much do you get paid? What is this? What is that? Blah, 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 blah. Having these conversations, I think, is really important.
0: Well, that's how it becomes fair, isn't it? If nobody knows what everyone's yeah. getting paid and nobody knows what the other person's doing or receiving for a yeah. project, then it's always going to be skewed, isn't it, I think?
1: Exactly.
0: So, I'm also really interested because we talked about some of these projects and the work that will hopefully lie ahead mm-hmm. but i want to find out a little bit more about your journey so far tida because all the things that you've achieved sound fantastic and i want to know what your relationship with theatre was like as a child if if there was one at all
1: this is a funny story <laughs> um <laughs> i didn't take drama at gcse did i know i did dance and the first time i kind of did anything dramatic like th- theater like dramatic, <laughs> dramatic was um when I auditioned for NYT but I only auditioned audition for it because my friend was auditioning for it and she didn't want to be alone
0: and you were like sure I'll
1: come along yeah and I was like sure and then I got in and I was like oh this is cool maybe I can do it and then my sister was like because both my parents have passed away so I've lived with my sister most of my life um, She was like, no, nope, can't afford that. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. Anyway, I didn't want to be an actor. Anymore. I, wanted to, I wanted to be a doctor. So I was like, that's fine. You wanted to be, be a doctor? Yeah, really weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> so completely different. I
0: suppose doctors have an element of control that directors do. Yeah. For some way.
1: <laughs> Maybe it was this idea of, you know, losing both parents. So I wanted to not save people, but kind of help in that kind of world. Yeah. Then I went to um A-levels. So I think as a child, the one constant I realised is wrestling. I think that is the one constant. And in my house, when we were really young, again, just like, you know, how we had the two-hour sharing session, we used to do, like, challenges. So uh, today's challenge is who can make the best rock song or the best rap song or the best Metallica-inspired guitar solo, but without a guitar, blah, blah, blah. So we used to do like weird things like that when we were young. And
0: was that competitive?
1: Yeah, let's just say our house isn't the best, but character development. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think that was the one constant wrestling. Then I went to my A-levels and again, studying to be, I wanted to be a cardiologist and, uh, instead of further maths, I was accidentally on the system, put in drama and theater studies. And I went to the class and my tutor had told me, oh, you just go to the first class and then tell the, whoever the drama teacher is that you are not supposed to be there and blah, 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 blah. But I went in the class and I was like, oh, OK, I was a bit, you know, quiet. I'm not going to, like, make a scene. I'm not meant to be here. So let's just do this class. It's only one drama class. Um, how bad can it be? Did the drama class. And at the end of the day, I was like, oh, uh, Miss Nash, okay. a phenomenal performer, a phenomenal tutor. And, yeah, just a really cool person. I was like, oh, walking up to her to tell her I wasn't meant to be there. And she was like, oh, yes, Matita, how can I help you? And I was like, that was just a really cool session. And I just walked out and i continued to come to this drama lesson and um my tutor was like what about further maps and i was like I- i'll do it after school and then tragedy tragedy arose where i started bunking my other classes for drama because i just got addicted that's when i knew there was a problem here and decisions need to be made because my test results will not get me into <laughs> will not get me into a good university or wherever i wanted to go at the time because again Highly disciplined, you know, and high achiever. I think it also comes with the idea of, uh, not the idea, kind of the notion of Black people having to work mm. three times, four times, as hard to kind of be seen, be noticed. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, I had 16 GCSEs, A stars. That was my mindset. And, you know, again, not having parents, I'm like, I must prove I'm good. Mm. When I realized I was slacking in my other A-level classes, I just didn't care anymore. That's when I said, there's a problem here. There's something happening. And then Punch Drunk changed my life. That was it.
0: Your tutor must have been incredible to have gripped you from yeah. that first session. You know, bearing in mind that was one of your first experiences yeah. of doing theatre class or, you know, studying theatre.
1: Yeah, physically. Yeah. Hard. And
0: then I'm assuming that within just over a year's time after that first class you then started to consider going on to university to do that.
1: Yeah, that was the thing. That's quite
0: a short period of time, I think.
1: Right. To like give up everything. I remember I had this like, because I was like really good at history and the wanted me to get to cambridge and blah 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 and my history tutor who was also the deputy head kind of called me into his office and i just remember this moment he was like but you can be a director and still go to cambridge and study history and i was like but why would i go to university and do something like i don't want to do and then do what i want to do after exactly it was really shocking i was like you know you're speaking to me we both know what's going on here but Am I really going to do something that I'm not in love with? I'd rather do what I want to now and have no regrets because I did what I loved at that time, at that moment, and that's it, you know?
0: So when you were making the decision to go to university, or whilst you were at university, should I say, Mm -hmm. did a career within the arts always just seemed viable?
1: Because I'm this massive optimist, there was no doubt. I, I you know, this is another, I don't really say this anymore because I don't like saying it because it's just, I didn't understand why I was doing it either. But I wanted to be an actor, okay. so I did apply to some drama schools. which is, like, so silly thinking about it right now. An actor? For real? So I remember, like, yeah, I'm going go to get drama school, then I'm going to have an agent, and then I'm going to sell out wherever the national, all this stuff. So I thought I really could do it. And then when I was rejected from every single one of them, um, it's so funny because now I teach at these drama schools and I remember like, you know, when you walk in and you're like, ah, I see the memory of myself being rejected and walking out. It's never like I still don't feel like a part of that world, even though I actually teach there. So yeah, there was no heavy sense of doubt. I think I had a good support unit at home. My sister's always encouraging. She was a bit sad about the whole Cambridge thing, but she was like, yeah, cool, do do what your heart wants. And I guess, again, it's that thing of if you love something, you just love it. And, you know, it doesn't matter whatever comes after. If If it's bad, I'll learn my lesson and then I'll find something else to love. But at that moment i was obsessed i was addicted i just loved it no doubt could not tell me no for anything or if there was the no's or the rejections it was like okay what is plan b what's the next thing i want to do where do i want to go and then when i went to middlesex and found out all about contemporary design and i was like you could be a designer and i could design posters and i could do photography and i could do video design like there's a whole world in here it's not just directing and acting um And so I guess that was my thing that I could do other things. It's not just the one thing I could do. So many other things as well.
0: So many transferable skills. In yeah. There, from that course that that you said you studied, you are now like you said, kind of teaching <laughs> at tutoring at the drama schools and at the University of Arts, London. How did that come up? Was that something you applied for, or did that just happen after your masters?
1: So during my masters as well, I. Went back to my college because they had uh, one of the drama teachers just left and they had an open space and they're like, do you want to teach dramas one day a week? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's see if I can inspire someone the way I was inspired. So I did that for a bit and I said, okay, teaching's not too bad, especially like with people who want to be in the room. Obviously, you know, some people don't want to be in the room and it's a bit bit hard, a bit of a pain sometimes. But I said, okay, this is cool. This is fine. And then I think the rest of this, uh, like at UAL... That was because one of my lectures, my tutors at university, then transferred to the head of the course there and she was kind of you know she's trying to shake it up trying to open more opportunities for women and black people and she was like yeah come through come in and obviously she understood like that's the other thing I was thinking like people rarely understand my practice they say they do but there's some people who really like truly do and um and she's one of them kate lane absolutely brilliant so she invited me to come through and like first of all, assist on a few workshops and run a few sessions. So that was that. And then at Middlesex where I studied, they were good as well. And again, because they watched my development and I got a scholarship from there as well. So they again, really understood where I was coming from and why I find it hard to say some things and define myself and how my practice was, what my practice was becoming. They wanted me to continue to kind of share that. So I continued to do that over there as a kind of visiting lecturer design tutor kind of thing it's all again which is annoying it's because I know people no application unfortunately
0: but that's a testament to you and I think and the work that you've put in along the mm-hmm, way surely mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I agree I, I don't, don't expect
0: know. you to elaborate on that I bit, <laughs> <I was>
1: like, <laughs> yeah I'm great <laughs>
0: So have you still been working with students throughout this COVID period this year? Yeah. What advice have you been giving them or what advice would you give to anybody studying at university, hoping to pursue a creative career?
1: Uh, Just to continue constantly looking for opportunities and don't think that it gets any, not that it doesn't, doesn't get easier, but you kind of get used to it. The grind just becomes a bit regular. So just constantly looking for opportunities and constantly trying to find ways to develop your practice I guess the big thing as well that I say is it's a discipline when I'm speaking to actors the students that just as um, musicians kind of constantly practice uh, playing violin blah blah blah, your body is your instrument and so it needs to be trained it needs to be developed it needs to remain focused it's similar to what, what I tell my design students that you can't just come up with designs you um I mean you can but it's good to find inspirations to consume as much art as you can. So look for these opportunities and that doesn't have to be like, you know, the grandest of the art. You don't have to be at the Tate all the time, but art is in everything and everywhere and find your people, find your group, establish networks and just be nice, I guess. I feel like there's a lot of bad people in this industry and there's no reason to be. Like another big thing that annoys me is like directors in tech. There's these not ideas what's the word I can't remember the word but I'm gonna use notions I don't know if that's the right one that tech is stress and like directors are rude and like these type of things that are kind of upheld especially like when I'm working at drama schools, some of these directors the way they treat students I see and you know I'm like it's unnecessary there's no need and there's no need to give these people the power. I mm. guess it's the younger generation. I'm constantly like, you got to challenge these people. Hierarchy needs to be fluid. You know, you're a student, you're there to learn. So make sure you're learning and not being used. So know yourself as an artist. And if you don't know yourself as an artist, find yourself. And it's all right not to know. But what yeah. is not all right to do is not to figure out how you yeah. can know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get what I mean.
0: What you've just talked about is that, Binding yourself as an artist and as we come to the end of the podcast I'm going to give you the opportunity to give a little nod or a shout out to some of the people and the players that have helped you on their journey so far don't say oh no oh no because this is a big part of the podcast every week
1: okay (laughs) can I cheat it yeah. because you know this is so hard I you know this question I'm not a fan of this question because again I have so many different types of people who offer so many different types of support in so many different types of ways for the different work I do sure. um, like even today I had some really good news and I know there's a specific friend that I'm going to tell this news to even though we haven't known each other for that long but I know that the belief and understanding of who I am as an artist, this person would be really happy for me and really understand why this thing is, you know, amazing. Whereas another friend wouldn't really understand that. So I feel like I hate when inspirations are favourites, but I'm going to cheat it and I'm going to do three things. Go for it. So the first one is just the WWE in general. They're a bit problematic in terms of the politics, who they are, what they do, what they support, blah, blah, blah. But that is a source of theatre for me as a sort of design, understanding audiences, also the way in which it kind of works with TV and live experience has been really important for me. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing I'm going to say is the Red Hot Chili Peppers song can't stop. And that's just, I think, a nod to music in general and how much it fills my life and that song and the Chili Peppers in general, sometimes they're just singing words and you don't understand and it's a mess but then you get into it and you find your place within it and you understand and that's like life, you know, I feel like that's my life, I'm a mess, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. That's
0: exactly how yeah. I sum up the red actually, I find myself singing along but not really making any words Yeah, like, you're like dun, dun, uh. dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs>
1: even when you know the words you're like what are you saying Anthony, this makes no sense but I love it, there's a love for it, there's love somewhere in it and there's mess and creative power and blah 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 so that's just a note to music in general music is music is everything to me and then the final one is between I was gonna say it's between the loss of my parents like the strength that it's given me or no, I'm going to go with insufficient funds in my bank account. So that constant <laughs> reminder, when you want to buy something or when you buy something and your car declines or when a bill has just come out and you buy something else and you just get that text from Barclays saying you have insufficient funds in your bank account. That is inspiring to me because <laughs> it's like, okay, how can I break this? What is the way I can work around this? So thank you, Barclays, for constantly telling me I have insufficient funds in my bank
0: account. You said that you weren't a fan of the question, but your responses to the question have now made it my favourite question ever. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to be on the podcast. You've honestly captivated me seriously now for like the duration of the conversation that we've just had. I can't wait for people to listen to it. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode. It was great to meet Tida and find out what it is that influences the theatre that she makes. You can check out one of her latest projects, In the Absence of Justice, on Burnt Lemon Theatre's Instagram page. Don't forget to follow us on social media, at Starts and Grafts, on Twitter and Instagram. I've been your host Connor, Ella's been your producer, and we hope to see you all again next week. But until then, take care.